Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, we continue the Gen Sega with another story from someone that once knew her. Marley was attending school in State College when they met Jack. The two bonded over general nerdery and hung out together nearly every day. That is until Jack's internet girlfriend, Jen, took a bus across the country to come live with him. As always, expect foul language, but as this is a story about Jen, expect stories of manipulation, coercion, gaslighting, and more. Let's get ready for another Human Exception. So we bought tickets to see the Anastasia Broadway show in 2019. We bought the tickets. Oh my it was gosh. supposed to be in June 2020 when the show was supposed to be. But okay. everything went bad by then, right? So there was no way yeah. it was happening. So the venue just kind of kept rescheduling it and rescheduling it until it was finally rescheduled for the 29th of this month. And oh. um yeah, and so like, I found this out at like, the end of December. And so I was like, well, cool. We're all in Canada. <laughs> like, I bought five tickets. And it was $479 US, so it's like 600 something Canadian. Jeez so I was, like, Louise. Shit, well, like, I contacted them, and I just like, oh my god, I just like talked to like everybody, and just re- they refused to do anything about it. They refused what? to refund it. Yeah, it's just like, we don't refund tickets at all unless the show is cancelled. It's like, okay, well, the show might as well be canceled because I can't cross the border. I'm not going down to Seattle <laughs> right now. Like, it's not happening. Jesus. Yeah, so I am opened up a dispute with my credit card, so maybe they might build. I was going to say, yeah. that would be the way to recall it because usually they back down after they get some of those. Yeah. Because they don't, so, that, that it's like a black mark on, on them as a retailer. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Oh, I hope so. That's fu- That's fucked up. What? Excuse me. No. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because, like, we bought the tickets, and then, like, as we were coming up, like, 2020 was starting. Josie, one of my, my friends who was coming with us, she found out she was pregnant. She's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. Like, I ha- my baby's going to be due around that time. Oh, <laughs> and so now we gosh. have a t- child that's a year and a half old since we purchased <laughs> these tickets. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. God. Super bummed because I really wanted to see that show, but also just, goddamn it! <laughs> but also, yeah, at this point, like, y- yeah, oh my god, that's fucked up. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I hate everything. Woo-hoo. You ready to hate more things? <laughs> We're talking about Jen. <sighs> Rage. Rage. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we have another story from another person who uh, got to experience Jen firsthand. Um, oh they're gonna—they're going by Marley is what we're calling them, and we're gonna go all the way back to 2000, the that beginning, long ass time ago. Yeah, like 22 years ago. Uh... <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, back in 2000, Marley began attending Penn State University. They were a double major and. They also worked for the school, and their hometown was a half-hour drive from the university. So they were very busy, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. And geez. on top of that, they were also a nerd, like, into tabletop gaming. So, like, Dungeons & Dragons, mostly. They were a cosplayer, they were a LARPer, and they were also involved in community theater. <laughs> so as That's Marley awful. said, a lot of things are a blur as far as an exact date goes for me in college, and not for the usual fun reasons. <laughs> So yeah, <laughs> very busy at school. <laughs> so yeah, it made sense that like when Marley t- was going to make friends, it was going to be in class. Uh, Marley had been taking a mythology class and Jack had been sitting in front of them. They don't remember what it was that got them talking. Maybe it was a book that Jack was reading or something that he doodled, but it wasn't long after that they hit it off. Marley and Jack would also befriend another girl from the same class named Erica, and the three became fast friends. Jack lived on campus in the honors dorm and had a single room, making it a great place for the trio to hang out, and they could often be found there studying, chatting about games and other nerdery. 
Marley had played Final Fantasy VII in high school, and while they enjoyed it and liked the strong female characters, they weren't nearly as into it as Jack and his friends were. <laughs> as great quote about dorm life. His, his dorm had its own cafeteria. They got better food than we had in the common dining halls. So he would get us into his dorm and we'd hang out all the time between classes. I remember we'd hurry over there around lunch so we could get a good table to watch reruns of the old Prices Right. Believe it or not, this was a popular thing to do. So you had to get there early or you'd get stuck at a table with a crappy view. Just <laughs> <laughs> so like so quintessential like <laughs> university college experience. Oh my gosh. That's good. So yeah, during this time, Marley and Jack were very close, hanging out practically every day, and Jack even giving Marley a pet name of Marlu, which is like a Japanese play on the name. Um, Marley even met Jack's mom a couple times and recalls her being very sweet and loving. It was likely that this general nerdery is what led Jack to tell Marley about soul bonding. To Marley, it sounded just like role-playing or acting and kind of method for experimentation and explore different facets of yourself and Marley never really got into it themselves, but thought it was harmless. Looking back now, they realized that they really didn't fully understand the implications of the, this belief system that Jack was adopting. Uh, yeah, so Jack never pressured them to be involved in the same level, and to Marley, it was just a carefree form of um, expression. When Marley met Jack, he was identifying as female, but already was beginning to explore the idea of gender and gender identity. Quote, I don't know that he had a clear idea of being trans at that time, or if it was more that he felt comfortable expressing himself in a way that leaned towards things typically defined as masculine. I've always been a tomboy myself, so at the time, that was one of the things that led us to connect strongly. I get the whole feeling of your body not really being your home. And I think for him, soul bonding was his way to explore that. He could be a male-identified character, and that was comfortable for him. So I asked Marley what their social life was like before Jen showed up. And, quote, Jack and I had a few friends that we hung out with. He was gregarious and fun before Jen. He's the reason that I had the number of college friends that I did, because I'm pretty introverted. I was the one who stuck with him the longest and resisted being pushed away by Jen. Nobody else that I knew of was still in contact with him after the time that him and I stopped talking. So, yeah, Barley knew Jack, spent a fair amount of time in online communities, as many of us did during that time. and. Uh, Knew that he had made a number of friends that way, many of which Marley would end up chatting with or meeting at one point or another, one in particular being Eris. Uh, Marley doesn't remember exactly when they met Eris, but it became quickly apparent the two were not going to get along. Uh, both were stubborn, and Eris had a way of wanting to bend people to her beliefs. To Eris, this whole soul bonding and role playing thing was a much bigger deal. While Marley respected Jack's beliefs and saw it as a valid form of identity exploration, it wasn't really Marley's thing, and he was fine with that, never forcing it on her. But for Eris, it was a style, it was a lifestyle, and she didn't appreciate the fact that Marley didn't take it as seriously as she did. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> Eris is a <laughs> yeah. Oh. One day we're gonna talk more about Eris. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a thing, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. Oh, no. Um, and like Theo expressed a similar thing with Eris being like, she's very much being the one that like likes to be in charge of everything and you know, her way or the highway. She's the one that likes to monitor, like, monitor, but, like, moderate the group. Every every group has, like, a group mom, but some groups have, like, a group ultra mom. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, now, wait a second. As someone who has been penned as the group mom, don't <laughs> lump me. <laughs> every group has that one control freak person. And sometimes they're more <laughs> friendly about it than other times. Gosh. Uh, so growing up, Marley had to endure a fair share of abuse and trauma, which had led them to grow up very fast and molded them into a very strong and independent person that didn't like to be pushed around, and he was fiercely protected of their friends. This combined with Eris's my way of the highway attitude was a recipe for disaster. Eris realized early on that she wasn't going to be able to bend Marley and that Marley wasn't going anywhere. So she made a point of avoiding her, which suited Marley just fine. Um, about a year after Marley met Jack around the summer of 2001, she, they'd been home for a break and Jack called them up and asked if they'd like to come and meet his long distance girlfriend who just arrived from California. Marley doesn't recall how much Jack may have said about Jen prior to this, but to Marley, it seemed like Jen came out of nowhere. 
Regardless, wanted to support their friend and made the drive back to college to meet Jen for the first time. Quote, my first impression was this awkward girl with huge eyes like a deer in the headlights. She looked so nervous. I figured moving across country was probably pretty stressful. So at first I tried to be nice to her, especially since she was my good friend's girlfriend. She introduced herself with her actual name and we went to her, their new apartment. I remember Jen gradually relaxing as she realized that I'm a huge nerd and wasn't going to judge her for her interests. But even back then, she's always seemed a little wary, like she thought I was going to steal Jack from her. In the end, she was right that I wanted to, though not for the ways that she was thinking. So just like imagine Jen at this time, <laughs> just this lost little puppy who just moved across the country <laughs> to a place where she knows no one. Right. So Molly remembers early on that Jen was pretty authentic, introducing herself as Jen and talking about her past with events that seemed pretty realistic and grounded in reality. Jen was awkward and shy, but mostly harmless. And most importantly, she seemed to make Jack really happy. So Marley put the effort in to get to know her. To Marley, it didn't seem like Jen originally came to State College with plans of staying. She came with very little and had no real plans at all, but it didn't take long to see that she wasn't going anywhere. So it's the same way that like Jen always invites people over and then tries to get them to stay. <laughs> That's kind of what she did. She just kind of forced herself on Jack and just didn't leave. Not that he would have kicked her out. Wow. Yeah, but still. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So one of the first things that they remember Jen telling her about was Cross Creek, which is the reform school that Jen had been sent to in high school. The experience sounded horrible, and when they asked why her, her parents felt that they needed to send her there, the story Jen originally told about why she was at Cross Creek was that her parents were strict about sex, and she'd been caught having sex. Um, now, we know from talking to other people that um, she did, Jen had had a, had a boyfriend in high school, and it seems to be kind of a common story that something to do with her being highly sexually active is what got her sent to this school, so it could be, you know, that could be the actual case. We don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, well, this story would change as time went on, and Jen began to embellish her past. It didn't take long for Jen to start making up narratives to suit her need. Marley was quick to pick up on this. Having known her since her first arrival at State College, she heard all the different versions that Jen would tell. Quote, At first, her story was that her ex, of whom she had lots of pictures that she loved to show off, was controlling and abusive, and she had to leave California to escape him. She had this one photo of him that she'd pull out all the time. At first, it seemed to be her strategy was to make Jack feel like he was supposed to compete with this guy. So Jen wouldn't just leave and go back west. Over time, probably after he kept refusing to give her money and she realized that demonizing people got her sympathy and stronger connections with others in her orbit, he became this demon who had abused her and was constantly attacking her with magic, etc. Oh, goodness. Yeah. (laughs) At this point, she was not accusing her family of anything and was in regular contact with them. I was present for many phone calls between her and her family and everything seemed completely normal. Her story about her family and her ex would evolve depending on things that she heard from other people. If, for example, someone would talk about having a parent or an ex that would hit them, a week later, Jen would be telling everyone the same thing about her parents or ex. It was like clockwork. There was always, it would always be that, oh, she forgot about it because she was the trauma and she just now remembered. As someone who had an abusive parent and has been diagnosed with PTSD and who actually has memory issues due to traumatic brain injury, I really came to loathe her attention-seeking lies. So yeah, that's kind of the first kind of record we have of, you know, her actually changing her stories because everyone knew that she still her stories didn't line up, but like Marley actually was able there to like watch these stories evolve based on the in- input that she received from people around her. Yeah, this is like Gen 1.0. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Damn. So Marley did try her hardest to get along with my uh sorry. Marley did try their I I makes like pronouns in here. <laughs> like they said they're fine with she or she or they, but I Oh, okay. I didn't. I wasn't consistent with myself, and that's my <laughs> issue. Um, Marley did try their hardest to get along with Jen. Either she, either they liked it or not, Jen was now part of the circle. Marley could could handle a lot of things, but when it came to her, their friends, they had very low tolerance for people taking advantage or abusing them. And early on, they could see the beginning of Jen beginning to push Jack's boundaries, as if testing to see what she could get away with. One instance that that Marley mentioned was how Jen would try to force Jack to be more masculine. Quote, 
Jen would often tell Jack that he could never satisfy her because Jen was not a lesbian, and Jack could never truly please her because he didn't have the right equipment to do so. She would moon over the photo of her abuse of X because he could satisfy her in ways that she told Jack that he never could. It's all really gross, but it worked the way that she wanted to. Jack seemed to think that he was going to have to accept this male identity that was being pushed on him. I'm obviously not saying that he would never arrive to this on his own, but more that he was pushed into things much more quickly than the pace that he was moving at before he met Jen. I think this was part of her tactics towards undermining Jack's sense of self, forcing him to become what she wanted, making him feel insecure about their relationship. He wasn't ready to publicly be this person that Jen wanted him to be, so he just became more and more isolated. So yeah, that's brutal. Yeah. Gosh, what the heck? Like, I can't even imagine. No. No, like we... no. Oh my god. I'm already mad. Okay. <laughs> like we knew that Jen was, you know, had issues with the title lesbian, but like to actually put it that far and make Jack feel like he was inadequate. Just oh my god, it makes me angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that is that's a whole other level of because it's it's just it's it's so blatant. It's such blatant manipulation, and she knew it. And oh my god. Mm -hmm. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> By that I mean it gets worse. Oh, god damn it! All right. Uh, quote: Jen didn't take long to realize that I did in fact dislike her, and I was only tolerating her because I just wanted to spend time with my friend. So Marley would hang out with Jen and Jack as soon as it became the only way that they could spend time with Jack. They did their best to remain civil with Jen, but the tension was always there. It's hard to say exactly how Jen felt about Marley, as things with Jack were still new, and she wouldn't risk alienating him by turning him against one of his best friends. So Jen played nice, either in an attempt to win Marley over just as a, or just as a holding pattern until she got a better grip on Jack. Who's to know, but when it was decided that Jack and Jen would get married, there was no objections when Jack wanted Marley as his best man. I say what now? So that's right. A bare couple of months after Jen's arrival, the couple decided to get married via a hand fasting ceremony on Hallow's Eve 2001. Oh. Oh, okay. And I've got... Um. <laughs> I've got the uh, wedding invitation here I'll show you. That oh Marley actually God. happened to save. Oh. It was drawn by Theo, I've confirmed. And this, yeah, this was their wedding invitation that they sent to their friends. It's... So yeah, Genova, Christine Sagan, and Hojo Renee Ravenschild on October 30th at 11.30pm in the grandfather clock room, Atherton. So it was in one of the school buildings. Holy moly. <laughs> Okay. So the way, <laughs> yeah, you, you're processing that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so the way that Marley tells it, the whole thing was kind of bizarre. Jen was still new to town, so nearly everyone that attended was friends of Jack's, including Sid, who would later help Icarus escape Jen. And they had a friend of theirs get ordained online to perform the ceremony. But before the ceremony, there was a dual bachelorette party held at Hooters, of all places. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. Amazing. Oh my god. That is... <laughs> that, oh, that is a sentence I never expected uh, to hear, and now I have, and... Okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, the ceremony itself was held on campus. Quote, it was pretty short, nothing crazy, and over the top, like Jen would normally seem to have wanted. Jack and I wore suits that we'd pieced together from stuff at thrift stores, and Jen wore the same purple velvet two-piece outfit that she bought at Hot Topic and wore pretty much every day until it fell apart. It was this two-piece crushed velvet thing, maxi skirt, very late 90s Renaissance-style top with bell sleeves. The top had some lace details to simulate a corset, and she also had a flower crown that someone gave her. After, there, okay. after this, there was a reception of sorts, but it didn't really last long, as Jen was getting handsy with Jack. Um, but I do have another quote here from Sid. Uh, this is something I found online that Sid wrote up that about the, his memory of the wedding, which is, quote, the highlight of my participation was breaking was nearly breaking my thumb while Boken sparring with Mendel and then having to then helping rush Josh to the hospital after Matt nearly poked out his eye with the same two Boken. This was a wedding. Oh, 
Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> um so yeah, then you know, after the ceremony, they're hanging out. Then yeah, Jen got really handsy with Jack. Quote Jen had this thing about pushing Jack, who wasn't into PDA, and forcing him to do more in public than he or anybody else was comfortable with. So I think somebody gave them a ride home after not too long, and that was that. So, for the record, this is not legal marriage for many reasons. One being no marriage license was attained, and two, gay marriage was not legal in Pennsylvania at the time. Despite this, the couple would claim to be married. And there's nothing wrong with holding your own ceremony and not registering with the government or anything like that especially a time and a place where the law was really behind the times. The issue comes into play in that Jen used this title as a status symbol and claim ownership over Jack. This was just another way to control him. Wow. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so the PDA issue seemed to be one that came up frequently. Despite Jen claiming not to be a lesbian, she seemed to take any opportunity to publicly prove that she was. Quote, when frat boys would walk by, Jen would immediately start groping Jack and shoving her hands down his shirt. She's all about the attention, and Jack, well, he didn't enjoy it at all. I, I didn't get it at the time, why he'd be there with her if she did that kind of stuff to him. To be honest, I still don't actually get it. So yeah, the person who's not a lesbian <laughs> likes to prove that she's a lesbian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that, okay. Yeah, Jen's ethereal sexuality was a definite source of confusion that left Marley and others baffled. Quote, this is not PC, but honestly don't know what the correct term is for it now. And I also know it means something different in other regions, but we called her a lipstick lesbian, meaning that she put the title on when she was out in public and took it off when she was in private. As the whole scene at Hooters shows, I think, it, I think she was into acting like a lesbian in public because it would get her attention and she lives for attention. It's all control and attention with her. I never called her out about either or not she was actually into women. I'm asexual myself, so all of this mystifies me to begin with. I don't get it well enough to question anybody about their sexual identity. She definitely made a point of denying that she was a lesbian, though. It was her favorite thing of hers to tell Jack that he could never satisfy her because he didn't have the right equipment, because she adamantly denied being a lesbian. She kind of acted like being with Jack was this huge burden she'd taken on, and that he owed her so much for her being willing to be romantically involved with him. God, that's so gross. That's so gross. Right? <laughs> the level of like just like pure awful psyche that is happening there is truly remarkable. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's like you, you should feel honored that I'm willing to have a relationship with you because normally right. I don't go for this. <laughs> normally, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just I you know, I'm doing you a favor here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So first, Jack's life remained relatively the same. He went to class and worked part-time, but over time he seemed to do that less and less. Marley isn't even sure if he finished his degree. None of this was helped by the fact that Jen had expensive tastes. Quote, Jack worked the same job as, as me with the school before everything started. In fact, he got me my job. So I knew he kept cutting back his hours. I remember at one point a supervisor commenting in my hearing that he hadn't been showing up for shifts. I'm not sure if he quit the job or got fired, but he did have other part-time jobs at, at times. However, it always seemed the same cycle. Jen would refuse to let him leave the house. He got into trouble for absenteeism, and he either quit or got fired. Eventually, I don't think he worked at all and was just pretty much home all the time. So this is something that we've kind of heard before about Jen and Jack and like how it, when he would get up to go to work kind of thing, she'd just kind of beg him to stay instead. Right. Just like she needed him. Because, you know, fuck that degree and, you know, the money that him and his parents put into school and right, <laughs> who's right. going to pay for rent? No one needs to do yeah. that. Heaven forbid you better yourself. You need to stay here in the dirt with me. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't take long for Jen to start asking people to buy her things. Quote, she asked everyone to buy things for her. She would drag us around stores and demand that we buy shinies. I don't remember buying her anything, but I can't guarantee that I didn't. I had a lot less disposable income than most of the people that she knew, though. So, yeah, anything that Jen was interested in, she'd call them shinies. Um, especially the purple or sparkly. Um, they, she needed them because they had magic in them. And like, we've talked about this before with the cabbage cloths and stuff like that. Right, right, right. I, mm. She just fixates on things and has to have it. You know, but, at that point, 
like maybe <laughs> like go like up the taste level, like push it, see how far you can go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but things weren't all bad. Um, they still found time to try and do fun things together. Marley told me about one of these events. Quote, Jen, Jack, and I were three of the first members of the Penn State Paranormal Society. If you've ever heard of Paranormal State, that's them. Are you I fucking kidding me? What? <laughs> so I lasted only one meeting, though, because the founder of the group claimed that he was possessed by a demon and started talking in a deep voice and said that he was going to kill me that night. Fucking weirdo. No interest in going to any more meetings after that, and I don't think that Jen and Jack lasted much longer either. Oh. Wow. <laughs> My god. It's all connected, man. Paranormal I state. Think- I think I just lost brain cells. Okay. Um... (laughs) Oh, I hate everything. All right. Let's go. So So later that same year, um, Jack would introduce Marley to a new friend that he'd made online, Icarus. Icarus and Marley hit it off. And when Icarus came to visit Jack and Jen the first time right before Christmas, the two would meet in person for the first time. Um, sometime in 2002, Jen and Eris would have their falling out. Marley suspects that this was largely a case of when an immovable object meets an unstoppable force. Jen and Eris both had that same need for control in the people of their lives. And they both had the same target, Jack. At one point, Eris decided that she'd had enough of Jen's bullshit and wrote a public letter online decrying Jen and her phony stolen beliefs. After Eris was no longer in the group, Jen and other members of the group began to experience attacks in online forums and communities. And Jen swore that this was Eris. Quote, Eris was trying to get Jen kicked out of some communities everyone hung out. I did a lot of it with computers back then, so I helped Jack chase the IPs. And that's why I know some of the accounts that came after Jen were actually Eris. The instances I know of were in soulbounding communities. She would actually make sock puppet accounts and attack herself and claim that Jen was sending people after her. Jen liked this tactic so much that she would frequently use her on herself later. I don't know if Jack ever said anything to Jen about her own self-trolling. I think he felt so trapped and like he was in such a precipice that he couldn't go against her by that point. Wow. So Jen would troll herself online for attention. That is... Yeah, yeah. And yeah, somehow not surprising. That's <laughs> bad. Yep. Molly was ecstatic when they found out that they would be going to study abroad in August 2002. They spent the next couple months preparing and wrapping up their heavy course load. So when Icarus moved in with Jen and Jack, Marley struggled to find free time to hang out with her with their friend and didn't realize what was happening. Quote, I'm sure the signs were there, and this is something that it eats at me till this day, but my attention was not focused. This is one of the few traumas I carry from that time, not seeing the full scope and not helping my friends, not realizing that Icarus needed help, not being able to drag Jack away. I didn't find out what had been going on until after Icarus left. He talked about what had been going on, and I was stunned. I had no idea that Jen was getting that bad. And I was immediately ashamed, but glad that Icarus got out. This was when I decided that I was going to keep up the facade of being friends with the group in order to keep an eye on what was going on. So, like, yeah, you're focusing on your your education, you're dealing with your double major and everything else, and you find out afterwards that one of your good friends has been in this horrible, abusive situation you had no idea. Right. Like, yeah. So I asked Icarus if he'd ever tried to tell Marley what would ha- what was happening, and he admitted that he wasn't sure who he could trust as Jen had worn down all his self-worth and made him paranoid. But a big part of it was the guilt and shame of being in that situation. He very much blamed himself for what was happening to him. A uh, quote from Marley, Jen hadn't bothered to even tell me that they were on the outs or anything, and I hadn't even known that Icarus had left. So by that time, I think Jen knew I wouldn't cut off somebody who was actually my friend for her sake. Hmm. And Icarus wasn't the first of Marley's friends that Jen had preyed on. And she hints at a multitude of incidents. In one scenario, Jen had actually stolen something from a friend of Marley's. Jen lied about this for months, even though the item was in her possession. Marley naturally sided with with their friend and tried to get the item back until the drama was just too much that the friend just said, forget it. So I asked if Jen had an issue with stealing and Marley said... I know that she shoplifted, shoplifted, but other than that, I do not know if we're stealing things. But hey, has anybody told you about the time that they got arrested for having magic battles behind the apartment complex? 
I know one of the charges was terroristic threats. I know she got arrested for more for this more than once. But that was Ooh. the first one. Oh my god. Wow. So this is something I've actually heard about before, and I even have a news article about the incident. That's <laughs> so now right. it's as good as a time as any to share it. Yeah. Amazing. I remember oh. this. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Holding on to this one for a while. So yeah, November 15th, 2001. It started out as a skit. Three friends pointing a sword and fake pistols at each other. Then a young girl walked by the Lionsgate apartment complex, saw one of the women with the gun, and in minutes, the pretend gunfight had eight real police officers ordering all three people to the ground. On Wednesday in Center County Court, Jack, 20, Ibrahim, 19, and both Penn State students and Jennifer Cornette at 19 said that they were role-playing on October 6th when a young girl's mother reported that shots had been fired outside the apartment at 424 Wapalani Drive. To get there, the police officers pushed themselves through Penn State football game traffic and later handcuffed all three of them on the ground, police said. Public defender Sean McGraw argued that there was not even an inkling of evidence to support the charges and that their role-playing was all a misunderstanding. District Justice Daniel Hoffman agreed, dismissing the charges of terroristic threats, harassment, and recklessly endangering another person. A woman called police after her daughter came running into the apartment and said, there's a woman with a gun outside, according to the criminal complaint. The woman told police that she looked out a window and saw a woman fire a shot at two other people who then disarmed the woman. After a preliminary hearing, Cornette apologized to the woman and and a police officer who returned the plastic pistol and sword. Quote, we were just LARPing, Cornette says, explaining that the activity was known as live action role playing, similar to duels seen at Renaissance fairs. God. This is a legit news article, guys. If you believe uh, nothing else, you're gonna believe yeah. this. Damn. <laughs> I just like that some women got so worked up because they thought they heard a gunshot from three people. Right. Yeah. I don't. Like, yeah. I don't blame the kid yeah. there. Like the kids saw what they saw, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So I actually reached out to Ibrahim and asked him about this, and it turns out it wasn't long after this he washed his hands of both Jen and Jack. So not long after Icarus told Marley what was really happening, they left on their year-long trip abroad to Japan. They had no idea that Jen had become so controlling and was deeply worried about all of their friends, especially Jack, as he was still living with her. They tried their best to stay in contact and keep an eye on things from afar. Quote, I was still friends with Jack, but he already changed so much at this point. It was clear that he was still himself in our private conversation, but he was exhausted. And in public, he had to keep playing this part that he'd been given. There wasn't anything I could do at this point because I was not going to be back in the U.S. for another year. So I tried to be a supportive of Jack, and I played. A, I started paying closer attention to what was going on with the group and the private combos. Marley would later find out that a new subgroup of friends had been created that Jen had intentionally excluded Marley from. Marley doesn't know what happened in that group and like what they didn't want them to see because in the main group, Jen would talk trash about Icarus knowing that Marley was there and still good friends with him. Marley suspects that they were trying to bait, bait them into telling Icarus something that he would then say that Jen could prove that Marley was a traitor. Uh, yeah. Of course, they... Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Marley told Icarus everything. <laughs> And the two would laugh at, at Jen's antics, and it was kind of a way for them to like deal with the situation. It was finding the yeah. humor in it, but yeah, Icarus never let anything leak that would implicate Marley. So I asked Marley if she, I asked Marley if they knew if Jack ever talked about what happened to Icarus. Quote: Jack would sometimes ask me about Icarus and how he was doing. He, we didn't discuss what had happened. He never made excuses, but he also didn't deny anything about Icarus's story in private. In public, he, of course, did what Jen demanded, but he knew that I was still in contact with several people that were on the outs of the group, and he would ask about them frequently. Which is kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, jeez. Because he clearly still cared about them a lot, and but he kind of had to put on this face because that's what Jen wanted, and because Jen had declared them as enemies. Right. During this time, Jen's behavior only got worse, and a lot of stuff Marley didn't realize until they came back to the States. Quote, they were always asking people for money, and Jack would work to finance things, but then Jen didn't want him to be going out and doing that either. She wanted to have complete control over him, I think. So then she would lure people in to get money from them to pay for rent, food, shiny shit, 
that was his state of being when I came back from my study abroad. But Jen had a new fandom to obsess over, Helsing, the vampire anime. Since the original show and comics came from Japan, Jen desperately wanted merchandising. Marley had no interest in finding these things for Jen, but Jack was also really interested in the show. Quote, I sent things to Jack. She probably took them, but they were all meant for him. So when Marley finally returned home, they found someone new had been added to Jen and Jack's relationship, Angel. Quote, she hated me from the start and was openly hostile towards me. Protective instinct to keep me away from Jen? I have no idea. We interacted very little the whole time that she was there, even online. If I entered a discussion, she left it. She openly said that she didn't trust me. Too bad her instincts didn't work to keep her away from Jen. And we've heard, I've heard this a couple times about Angel being highly suspicious of anyone that out, was outside of the group or that was new to the group. Um, and I guess the same way that Jen would make Jack feel inadequate and like, you know, their relationship was hanging on a thread. I think she was doing the same thing to Angel and making her feel insecure. Okay. There was one scenario that we'll eventually talk about with uh, Mela where they were driving a car. Angel was driving. Jen and, and Mela were in the back seat. And um, out of nowhere, Jen like leans over and starts trying to make out with Mela. And uh, okay. was like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> and yeah. like Angel saw this and she's driving and she can't really do anything, but he clearly very upset her. And like right. Mela tore Jen a new one, but like Jen was clearly trying to make Angel jealous. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it became quickly apparent that Angel was the new shiny thing. Quote, once Angel arrived, Jack was shuffled off to his own room. Jen and Angel had the master bedroom, and Jack was absolutely at least the third wheel, if not pretty much a non-entity. Jen was bored of him and had many other things to control. He seemed completely isolated in his room at the house, but he still wouldn't leave. Marley feels like Jen was only keeping Jack around at that point as a form of income or security. Jeez. So this is obviously like just conjecture, but I, I really truly wonder if Jen even saw people as people or just tools. I don't like, I, I think she really doesn't have an, um, I don't think she has true empathy. I don't think she can comprehend yeah. that people have real feelings and how normal people are how, impacted what by she things. Does. Right. Right. That, that the, the, the more we hear about this, the more I just, I, that picture becomes, it feels like it becomes very clear. That's just like, yeah, you're just a thing for me to use to get what I want. And mm -hmm. I don't understand, like you said, I don't understand that this is going to cause you distress or, you know, what have you. Yeah. Yeah. And like and something a few has said too, like that they thought that Jen didn't see their feelings as real or that their pain was real to Jen. It, it was just such a thing that just wasn't, like graspable to Jen that other people were hurt. Yeah, everyone else is just an object to her at yeah. that yeah. point, right? Like you're just a thing a that I can game board. Yeah, yeah, you're a thing I can play with. You are you are basically a like a mobile animate inanimate object to me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, by the time that Marley moved back, Jen and Co had moved from State College to Belfond, which is about an hour's drive away. Marley went and visited them a couple of times and had met many of the new faces in the house, but never really got to know them, though they did talk with Mela online a bit. Their last visit occurred around Thanksgiving 2003. Quote, Jack's mom was there and got to witness just how horrible Jen had become towards Jack. The food was not properly cooked and was inedible, and Jen was just screaming and crying and blaming everyone but herself, though my understanding was that she wouldn't let anyone help. I know I had offered and that had been declined. She was yelling at Jack, claiming that he was physically attacking her, or sorry, claiming that he was psychically attacking her. Meanwhile, Jack's mom was sitting by Jack and I, and she was clearly horrified. Do you imagine being his mom in that moment? No. Oh, like, no. get the fuck out. His girlfriend's yelling from the other room that he's psychically attacking her. Ish. No. So... When Molly told me this, obviously, it surprised me to hear about the food being not cooked and inedible because we kind of heard that Jen was a decent cook. So I asked Marley about this, and this is what they said. I read that question and was stunned. Jen is a terrible cook. 
I'm a really good cook. I tried to teach her how to not set the damn apartment on fire, but she was still awful. I swear I'm not just saying this. Jen could and did fuck up spaghetti in my presence. She wanted to cook steak every day, but she would just boil it into rubber. My mother is an awful cook, which is why I learned to feed myself, and her best friend was a professional chef, so that's who I learned from. I'm not Gordon Ramsay over here, but I would use a Gordon Ramsay meme to describe my reaction to anything that Jen ever cooked and that appeared in front of me. Maybe she took cooking, le- cooking lessons? No idea, but that Thanksgiving meal was totally on par with the skill level that I knew her to have. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Fuck. God. Yeah. So this oh. made me think about the context in which other people have told us that um, Jen was a good cook, and a lot of the survivors came from unstable homes, and so it's highly possible that their experience of home-cooked meals was very limited, and may have been limited to, like, frozen or packaged meals, or even just, like, just out of sure. water kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Quote, what I didn't get with the Thanksgiving dinner was that I was there and I offered to help. And she said she was fine. But she did make a joke that she should have had me make the mashed potatoes because I'm Irish. I mean, I do make good mashed potatoes. It is a family recipe. And we are Irish, but okay. (laughs) What the? Okay, sure. (laughs) Uh, Fuck. But the food was the least heartbreaking part of the meal. Quote, Jack's mom tried to have a serious discussion about things after dinner. But Jack was completely tuned out, even after having been treated so poorly in front of everyone. His mom and I both assumed this meant that it was a regular occurrence by then. He used to fight back, but it was like he was just deadened to it all. And I remember the look in Jack's mom's eyes the last time I saw her. Just fear and heartbreak, really. But as you said, what can any of us do if the person doesn't want to leave? Yeah. So that dinner marked the end of many, marked the end of many things. Quote, after that dinner, Jen pretty much forced Jack to cut off contact with his parents. And I was getting ready to leave the country again. And I was completely burned out from trying to help Jack see what Jen was doing to him. I tried so many times by this point, but I'd been afraid that he'd tell Jen and I'd just be cut off and unable to help if he needed me. So I decided I was done. I took myself out of the equation. I can't remember exactly what I told Jack. I remember it was a very emotional conversation. And then I know that the gist was that I loved him and I wanted to help him and I wanted him to get away from Jen and that if the day come and he needed me, I would always be ready to help. He didn't get upset, but he wasn't going to leave. So even though Marley was no longer in their lives, somehow he, somehow they became the big evil number two with Icarus being number one. They'd hear random things like how... They and Icarus were psychically attacking Jen, which was pretty impressive when Marley was in Japan. Like that psychic range. <laughs> I, I was going to say, say man, you gave <laughs> Professor X a run for his money. God damn. <laughs> right. Without Cerebo and everything. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't all that, of course. Uh, Marley did make some good friends. Them and Icarus, they're still very close. And not long after they cut off contact with Jen and Jack, they would meet Theo, and the two would also become very close, even attending Theo's wedding. Quote, we used to talk quite regularly, though we aren't in regular communications now. We do connect once in a while, and if I were in the area, I would not hesitate to reach out and invite them to dinner or to do something. I care about them a lot and know know them as a good person. So sometime after Jack left in two... Sometime after Jack left Jen in 2009, Marley did hear from him. Quote, I've had no direct contact with Jack, but he did relay a message to me telling me his name, that he's come out as trans, that he's safe and he's well, but that he did not want to reconnect with me at the time. I think about him often, but I respect his wishes. I wouldn't blame him if, he, if it seemed like I abandoned him at that time in a way that I did, and, but I had tried for so long, and you just reach a point where you have to take care of your own mental health, mental and emotional health. When I heard that he'd left Jen, I was happy. So freaking happy. Even if he never wants to speak to me again, I'm happy for him. I guess it made sense that he and Angel would still be together because it would have probably taken two of them to leave. She had such a strong hold on both of them. Even though Angel and I didn't get along, I'm glad that she escaped too. If Jack ever wanted to reconnect with me, I would be happy to talk to him again. He would would never even have to talk about what happened to Jen if he didn't want to. I miss talking about comics and mythology and history and everything else with him. I miss my friend. So today, Riley continues to explore all of life and this this world and what it has to offer. So yeah, another heartbreaking story from one of Jack's friends. 
Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. This... No. No. <laughs> that's, that's what this reduces my brain to is no. Well, I have a bit of a palate oh. cleanser. Okay. <laughs> One of the first things that me and Marley talked about was based on this uh, something that Icarus mentioned about this horrible roommate that Marley had. And so, like, I, I had included it in, like, my second email. I was like, what is the deal with the roommate? <laughs> and so they told me. <laughs> so, <laughs> quote, to this day, when things are really bad, I still remind myself that it could always be worse because I could still be living with her. She ate some kind of cheddar cheese tuna helper and drank butterscotch schnapps every night until she got blackout drunk. She would then vomit everywhere in our apartment and would refuse to clean it up. I'm sure you can oh imagine the combination God. of tuna and fake butterscotch and vomit was absolutely repulsive. Mm -hmm. And that is only the beginning of this girl's behavior. One, she liked to introduce herself by saying, Hi, my name is Karina. It rhymes with Corona. Oh, uh... <laughs> People would refuse to believe me about this, so I'd bring them to my apartment just to introduce them to her because she would always say it. <laughs> Standing at the door like, no, 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 no. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> uh, two, our apartment had one bedroom. Our other roommate and I had a bunk bed, and Karina had a single. She seemed to enjoy moving her bed to be right next to ours and bringing people home to have sex with, right next to where we were trying oh. to sleep. Of like, course. Like really loud, energetic sex every night to the point that she literally broke a bed frame. But I mean, <laughs> her bed was so close to ours that that I, who had the top bunk, could not climb down without standing on her bed. So every morning I had to jump over her bed to get out of my own. That's how close to where bed she was. Yep. And there was plenty of room in the bed in that bedroom. She could have been far away from us. She could, she could have also had sex in another room. There was a living room. There was a kitchen. There was a bathroom. There was a fucking balcony. Nope. She had to be right there. <laughs> where you're trying to sleep. You fuck. Three. <laughs> 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 she dated a bunch of guy, different guys at once. On the one hand, get it, girl. On the other hand, drunk frat boys can be scary when they find out someone is cheating Whoa. on them. One night, yeah. Karina was at home, and one of her paramours came out, came to our door, and refused to believe that she wasn't there. Oh he left, no! <laughs> he left and came back with a metal bat and beat and beat our metal door to the point that it was so disjointed that it could not be used. The cops predictably took so long to arrive that he had already given up and left. For the next several days, the other roommate and I could only get in, out, in and out of our apartment by climbing across the partition between our neighbor's balcony and our own. Luckily, those guys were a bunch of very mellow stoners who were happy to help us out. <laughs> Meanwhile, that was so scary. <laughs> right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Karina blamed us for the damage because we didn't let this dude in. It was at this point that we requested mediation in the from apartment management because we couldn't stand to live with her, but we couldn't afford to break our leases. She brought her mummy into mediation with her and put on this crying act about how we were bullying her. We yep. were told yep. that we would not be released from the lease. Oh my god. <laughs> yep. Fuck. Yep. Obviously, eventually... <laughs> I got out, but this is the, the roommate from hell right there. <laughs> yeah. Karina, it rhymes with Corona. I can't. No. I can't. Uh, no. Hmm. <laughs> I think this is the perfect note to end on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we went on a journey in less than an hour. Hold on a second. I need a minute. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Thank you for putting that in my head now. I'm never going to unhear Karina rhymes with Corona. Like, it doesn't even... I 
So yeah, thank you, Marley, for sharing your story and also sharing your palette cleanser of the roommate from hell. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Holy shit. That's it for this week. Next week, we're going to talk about one of the most common invisible illnesses, rheumatoid arthritis, in celebration of RA Awareness Day on February 2nd. As always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up to date with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Human Exception. Have a story you want us to cover? Want to tell us that we're wrong or just want to say hi? You can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And if you want to get in all the fun, come join us on our Discord server. A link can be found on our contact page. We also now have a merch store. The link can be found on the website. Keep on being exceptional with humans and have a wonderful weekend. Uh, Nathan, do you want to move the tunnel to the other side of the house? Yes. Yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> this like little tunnel we bought for the cats, and it's got like a bell, bell toys. or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I totally don't know what you're talking about. Ash was <laughs> following Nathan into the bedroom. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> Bring my stuff back. Yeah, my uh, the entire house isn't covered in cat toys. I have no idea what you're. <laughs> oh yeah, we bought like a big mixed bag of them for Christmas. Uh, like, oh so yeah, many yep. Cat toys. <laughs> yep. I found a bag of toy mice that I'm sure has moved with us like four times. I was like, oh, here you go. These are ancient now, but here, have fun. Well, it's like every time they you clean it under the couch or the stove or whatever, you're like, oh look, guys, oh, yeah. new toys. Yep. <laughs>